Welcome to the Newberry Tart Podcast. Your hosts, Marcy and Jenny, are talking and drinking their way through Newberry award-winning books, past and present. Hi, and welcome back to the Newberry Tart Podcast. I'm Marcy. And I'm Jenny. We are here today with Savannah Ganeshow, who is responsible for the graphic novelization for 2011 Newberry Honor book, Turtle in Paradise, written by Jennifer Holm, who we're also going to be speaking to shortly. We're speaking with Savannah courtesy of the Miami Book Fair, and Savannah is just one of the many authors and artists from around the world participating in the fair this year. The Miami Book Fair is the nation's largest gathering of writers and readers of all ages, They're looking forward to sharing their work, thoughts, and new ideas with everyone in person and online. Please visit MiamiBookFair.com for more information or follow MBF at hashtag MiamiBookFair2021. If you want to check out some of the other amazing authors who are at the book fair, uh, you can check out our archives, which have Meg Medina and Jason Reynolds, who are going to be there. Also, we have recently spoken to Vera Hiranandi, and we'll shortly be speaking to Jennifer Holm and Jasmine Warga. So you'll have those interviews to look forward to. Savannah, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yay. I'm so excited that we get to talk to you, actually, because sometimes the graphic novelizations of really great Newbery books get overlooked. Yeah. And this one is so good. So, um, oh, thank you so much. <laughs> it's just exciting to talk to you. <laughs> Can you tell us about how you got started making art? Yeah, absolutely. Um, comics has always been a part of my life. I like started reading comics when I was super young. And I started with like Japanese manga. I think my first comic I was ever given was Ranma One Half, which is a very uh, interesting choice to give to a kindergartner. Kindergartner, <laughs> oh my god! Uh, but, but uh, yeah, I love I love Rimuka Takahashi to this day. She's like <laughs> a huge influence on my art. And then I used to make like jam comics with my sister, who is also a comic artist before we even knew what a jam comic was, like we would pass around a composition notebook and I would draw a page and then she would draw a page and sort of make a whole little comic together. And then in high school, I had, we had this great program called a certificate of artistry at the charter school I went to. And I was a media arts certificate. And my teacher really encouraged me with my comic books and even like helped me put some self-made comics into local bookstores, comic stores specifically. Fun. And I started selling them in local comic shops. Just a little like Xeroxed and stapled stuff. Uh, did like a horror comic and just some other like silly stuff. And then I went to film school and for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> well, you went from panels, making panels to making frames. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, I had a concentration in documentary, but, uh, and then I started working professionally when I um, moved to Australia and my partner is getting his PhD over there and I started working professionally with coloring and then slowly sort of getting to get pages. And then I hooked up with Kevin to make bloom and yeah. And now I'm making graphic novels, which is like what I wanted to do since I was really little. So it's absolutely amazing. I'm just so lucky. That's really cool. I'm curious about you. You're making mini comics. Did you have, I don't know, did you just have like a little assembly line in your room or? So I was, so the school I went to had a, like a bunch of equipment and most of it was 
for making playbills for the theater department. But my teacher was like, you know, you can make comics with all this stuff. And I was like, you're absolutely right. <laughs> so I started doing it that way. Yeah, he had like a folding machine and a long stapler and we had, you know, printers that we could access. It was just, yeah, absolutely perfect. Nice. The best kind of teacher reappropriating school materials. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Necessary. To support a student's dream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was so great too. Like, And would like, whenever he was buying supplies for the department, it would be like, do you want anything specifically for comics? Like, do you want to play with screen tones or do you want to wow. have any of this stuff? Yeah, it was, it was really good. Like such a awesome environment to be in. So I was going to ask about reading bloom to me, it became apparent that you had manga influences Yeah, and I was going to ask you about that. So one, I'm just absolutely amazed by the idea of like a kindergartner reading or looking at Ranma. Um, <laughs> I have a yeah. five-year-old. I'm, I'm almost want to like replicate the experience, but I don't. <laughs> yeah. But, um, I, I just think that's so like in some ways, like, yes, of course these, those don't go together, but they also do because like, when are you going to be, when are you going to start thinking about gender and about, you know, roles and about, I don't know, visual representation and stuff. You're thinking about that already at that age. So yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it says a lot about me. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> I think it wasn't until fourth grade until I could really like understand it. But yeah, I definitely think that like having that influence so early on definitely like, you know, made me think about gender as a, at a really early age, but also just like art and comics and I think that Rumiko Takahashi, like, she is just so good at um, storytelling and her comics have this sort of comedic timing that also really helped me in my art. Although I don't do a lot of, like, comedic work, but expressions are really important to me. Mm -hmm. And uh, in my art, I think the expressions were the number one thing that I took away from that influence. And I, I think that's very evident in your work. I mean, I noticed that very much so. And I also appreciate, and I don't mean this as a knock on anyone else, but I appreciate <laughs> that even though you have a lot of expressions on faces, and, and particularly in Bloom, like you can always tell it's the, it's the same character. I don't know oh. if that makes sense. Like sometimes. Yeah. That's really nice. Thank you. Yeah. I remember when Bloom first came out, the the weirdest compliment I got was from my older brother who said, his hair looks the same on every, in every panel. That's really impressive. I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, okay, yeah, I guess that's something that people look for. <laughs> That's a hard thing to do, you know, and that, I mean, that's a pretty good compliment. Familial ties notwithstanding, I think, uh, I think I, what I, what I, my compliment was meant in the same vein. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. I love, I love that kind of compliment. I just, it just really shows that people are paying attention and, and I'm reading the work, you know, like, I think that, I don't remember if this is like actually uh, verified, but I heard somewhere that readers spend like one second a panel and, uh, you know, being a comic book artist, it's kind of discouraging. But when I get compliments like that, I'm like, people are spending more than that. It's not, that's not true. You know, I think it depends, right? I think it depends. There's like utilitarian reading and then there's actually like, you know, just story reading. And then there's like, 
I'm actually looking at all the panels and I'm reading and I'm looking them together. I mean, you know, it's mm-hmm. different people have different ways of approaching the multimodality of it, but mm-hmm. I think people, I think you're right. I think people are, whether they're going back and looking or mm-hmm. they're actually spending more time as they read through, I think, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. And that stuff all matters, you know? For sure. And I think that people are starting to learn how to read comics better I did a talk at the Southern Regional USDA Center and about LGBT graphic novels. And the question that I got at the end of the talk was like, how do I start to read? Like, is there any advice that you would give me? And I was like, basically just said like, you know, slow down and, you know, really take in the panels because, you know, an author and an artist is going to try to make your experience how they want. And they're going to try to, make you stop and they're going to try to give you story like temporal beats I guess about how to read the page you know and you're not going to get that if you're just reading the words and zooming through well and that's something that when I've read Bloom I really I feel I felt very kind of like aware of it but not in a bad way I feel like one I feel like there's oftentimes if there's a separate writer versus artist there can be kind of a friction that doesn't always work and the words and the images don't always go together really well. And then two, I think be having that visual component to the story, you're kind of locking it in more, right? So mm-hmm. if you Absolutely. just have words, you know, I can imagine anything or anybody in those roles visually, but Absolutely. you're you're really directing it. So mm-hmm. I think it, it takes a lot of buy-in by the reader, but I think it always mm-hmm. pays off. And particularly in something like Bloom mm-hmm. with such a sweet story. So thank you. Yeah. And that definitely plays into when I was adapting Turtle in Paradise, like, taking something that's so personal, like reading that book that was so loved by so many people and being like, this is what I imagined, (laughs) you know, it's like, you know, it feels kind of like I didn't want people to be completely off put by what I would have imagined. So, you know, I tried to let history influence me as much as possible and also let Jenny's words influence me as much as possible so that, maybe I could come up with something that could feel universal to people, but also unique in its own way, I guess. I did wonder about that, like the the historical aspect of it, because this story happens in the 1930s in Key West. So I know that you must have put so much work into the the look of it, right? Because it's because of the historical aspect, but it's literally in many ways in the background. Like, does that make it like more fun or less fun than a project that has a contemporary setting? Definitely just, it just makes more time. I think I also am a big fan of historical fiction. So it was really exciting, honestly, to do that research. And also Jenny had this big wealth of knowledge from her time researching the original novel. So I was able to work off of that too, but the research part of it, was really fun, honestly. And, you know, it took time and there's stuff that still I feel kind of like, I don't quite know, or like I learned a lot and I probably know more about 1930s Key West than I do about (laughs) most places, but there were still some things that weren't really very well documented or, you know, 
pictures just weren't really available. So I just kind of had to make something that was more ambiguous rather than very historically accurate. And there's like some clothing anachronisms in the book just because, you know, which, you know, I think it definitely happened, but it just wasn't common, especially in catalogs, like turtles in shorts at some point. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, it was just sort of like, I didn't want her to be stranded on an island <laughs> in a dress. <laughs> yeah. Be like, let's just Spoiler. be practical Sorry. and kind to turtle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sorry, that was spoilers. If you guys wanted to cut that out, that you feel free to. No, that's okay. But, um... <laughs> <laughs> well, and but, uh, yeah. speaking of, yeah. of collaborating, you know, with Jennifer Holm and, and her research, I'm always curious, I think every project is probably different, but what's it like when you're working with an existing novel and creating this graphic novelization? Like how much of the of the process is you and how much is the original author as far as like what text to keep and like what part is going to be just sort of visually conveyed? Like how does that work for you? So with this book, I I adapted this, the novel into a comic script and... Okay. It was the first time I'd ever done that. So, you know, I wanted to be super thorough and make sure. And there were some things that I cut and mostly it was just like minor details. But Jenny was really great and she was really encouraging and basically let me do whatever I wanted. Like she she was pretty much at every step like, yeah, it looks great. (laughs) (laughs) So this is not like tons of back and forth like... (laughs) No, there was only some, so when we got to the colors who the book was colored by the like legendary colors, like Pien, which I learned so much from, and she's just great. There was some back and forth with the colors, but with the script, there wasn't a lot of back and forth. Uh, Luckily, Turtle is very episodic with its chapters. So I was really able to just take it chapter by chapter and really, um, you know, kind of parse it down to like the major beats and I think really the only thing that the intro is probably the only part that I kind of took and reordered it in order to make this sort of like opening sequence that felt more cinematic rather than the beginning of a novel. And that's pretty much like the only thing that I really like took that was uh, not directly from the book. It worked really well, though. Like it integrated very well. Um, Thank you. I, I've always been a fan of, of Turtle in Paradise. And it was interesting, like when I first started to read the graphic novel, I'm like, this is not exactly, you know, how sometimes they adapt a book to a movie and you love the book and you may love the movie too, but sometimes they're so different that you just have to sort of separate them in your head and be like, they're two different things about the same subject. Yeah. Then it doesn't always mesh, but this, it started to, I was like, oh, it's different, but probably still good. And then they went like back together and I was like, ooh, no, it's just, it's the same. It's just, I'm not expressing yeah. myself very well, but I, it, it just integrated so nicely. It was pretty seamless. Oh, thank you. That's awesome. I'm so glad to hear that. <laughs> um, but I have to go back to what y'all were saying before about facial expressions, because that mm. I think carried, I mean, for me, sometimes a graphic novel, I'm, I'm the kind of person that you guys were just talking about. Like I read too quickly. And so when it comes to graphic (laughs) novels, I often like speed right through it. Not that Mm. I'm not paying attention to the art, but it's kind Mm. of like watching somebody talk in real life. Like I don't stop to examine every moment, but when you have really good facial expressions, it conveys enough that it's like you're watching a thing in real life or on a movie where 
you don't have to say everything because you can see it. Not everybody mm-hmm. can do that in the background of a graphic novel, but you it does happen so well in this, um, which is great because there's so many characters doing so many different things with different motivations. And mm-hmm. I love that you did not have to sit there and like explain every bit of it. Um, That's so nice. Yeah. And I think that it definitely plays into, you know, adapting the novel again, because there's so much internal dialogue that's going on with Turtle in the book. And I didn't want to have to keep using captions throughout it. So like, you know, she uses captions every now and then to do like bolts of information, or if there was ever like an internal monologue that I really loved. I put it in there. But for the most part, I really wanted to convey what I could just from her face, you know, without her talking to herself. But that's so nice to hear that, you know, I was able to come through. Yeah, no, it really, and even like the grownups in the book are done so well, like some of the locals in Key West and the cousin, one of the cousins is just so I don't know. I I loved the expressions on her mom's face and her aunt's face as well because they're so clear like what is happening behind the eyes. It's great. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of really I just I feel so bad for Turtle's mom. <laughs> but also for yeah. Turtle because oh my gosh, Turtle's mom is such a dummy. Like, I mean, she's uh, a sweet dummy, but she clearly is just naive and Yeah. Yeah. But that was also she, done yeah, very well. Yeah, Turtle definitely has, like, a, she's parenting her parent, which is unfortunate. And she's really aware of it, very too. very real thing, you know? <laughs> yeah. Just that, like, ugh, face that she makes. Did you have a favorite part of this project, whether it's, like, a favorite part of the book or a favorite part of the process? I honestly, like, when it all came together and I got my arc, I was like, you know, this is all right. I was so worried that it was not going to be good, that I was going to get my final copy and just, and read it and have a sitting and read it. And it wasn't going to come together, but I think it really did. And I was just so like, the relief was really (laughs) an intense moment. (laughs) No, I mean, a funny thing about Turtle in Paradise, Jenny was just telling me last week, I think, I grew up in Florida and every time it comes up, especially on the podcast, somehow some bizarre story comes out about like being chased by alligators or like scorpions in my house or something. And she just thinks that my childhood was like this like sweaty hot hellscape. Like animals trying to kill you. And it's nice to show people a different side of Florida without trying to glamorize it. And I think a lot of that comes through very nicely as well with the illustrations, but also just the the tone of the text. So I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. And the Great Depression was such a, a just a just trying stark time. And a lot of people in the South, you know, we had access to all all of this like land and food. And I think that, you know, people forget that. So like, while everybody really was out of work, you know, at least there was a tree with some food on it, you know? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This is true. This is true. Mm -hmm. Key West has changed a lot though. It's interesting when they mention about like thinking about trying to bring tourists in and how that evolved to the current state is, is very interesting. Yeah. I still haven't been, I really want to (laughs) go. Oh, it's amazing. I'm really curious about what you, how you do modeling in particular in Bloom. There's so much baking and I love to think of, of 
you possibly either baking yourself or making someone else bake for you. And how did you capture those poses? So Kevin actually baked everything in the book. He baked every recipe that you see. And, you know, Bloom isn't a tutorial, but, you know, we wanted to make sure the process we understood. And then uh, he would kind of tell me how it went and (laughs) if it worked (laughs) and all this stuff. But most of the time I used just YouTube and just watched videos of bakers. There was a lot of really helpful videos of just like guys making baguettes <laughs> and I would just watch them do it and then draw. Why does that sound dirty? <laughs> but the ref- those, those references were really, really helpful with the baking in bloom. And luckily, a lot of the baking in bloom is montage. So there are some very vague baking going on in bloom. <laughs> but uh, I think, you know, I was able to get the, the main idea. I was just really curious because I, I just feel like it's not like you just had like arms stuck in dough. Like there's, mm-hmm. I find when I bake and I think, I think Marcy probably feels the same way. Sometimes it's like you're dancing or like you're doing something that's like a choreographed. Yeah. Bit. And so I really got that from the book and I was really appreciative of that. Yeah. I think that the feeling of the baking, we wanted it to feel magical and like something was actually happening, but also I didn't want to, I didn't want a cartoon it. I don't think that's a word, but I didn't want to make it like cartoony and, you know, I wanted to, I wanted people to be like, yeah, that's what dough's like. And it sticks to your fingers and it's got these like holes and pores and it's squishy. And, you know, I think that watching Ari fall in love with Hector through baking, it really had to stick out as this wonderful process, but also show how much Hector really loves to bake, you know? This is reminding me that I need to feed my sourdough today. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, I immediately think of it as like Audrey too from Little Shop of Horrors. <laughs> feed me, Marcy. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, um, we, we attempted sourdough early, early lockdown and, uh, did that for a little bit. It was really fun, but, uh, we promptly forgot about it. It's like a pet yeah. <laughs> and we have, and we have pets. So I, I'm really bad at feeding it. I, I leave it too long, but my neighbor's a really good baker and she gave me some tips and one really good recipe. So now it turns out really good every time. Mm. So that so was good incentive. Yeah, and you can make so much stuff with sourdough, like pancakes and English muffins and all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. Sourdough wow. pancakes are delicious if you've never made them. I have not I've never made yet. those. They sound amazing. Yeah, they're really good. My kids, <laughs> and my kids love pancakes, so that's a good that's a good call there. Yeah, I think uh, King Arthur Flour has a recipe on their their website. It's really hmm. tasty. I'll check that out because I do love their website. Do you have any new projects coming up soon? Yeah, I have something I can't talk about. And <laughs> eventually uh, a, a second bloom is coming out, which is very exciting. Hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, it's supposed to come out 2023, but, you know, we're still in very early stages, so we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> 
the way these things go. It's always sort of yeah, like a definitely, especially right now. But yeah. I'm really excited about the next bloom. It's going to be so good. And, you know, it's been in the works for a while now. And just being able to like say it's happening is it's just great in itself, you know. <laughs> Do you have a favorite Newberry book? So I looked at the list because I got that question. I was like, I haven't read a book in so long. (laughs) (laughs) But Out of the Dust by Karen Hess was like one of my, well, actually her as an author, she was like one of my favorite authors when I was in middle school because I really loved historical fiction. It's one of the reasons why I started, I said, yeah, to Turtle in Paradise because when I was in middle school, I read like all of these historical fiction books and that was one of them. And I got so like enveloped in the world and it really made me appreciate history and also just telling history through characters and experiences and like human stories, you know, but that book really stood out to me just because it brought back so many memories. Yeah. No, I I really like that book too. And we have not had that as an answer before, but I'm kind of surprised because you're right. The historical fiction phase that some of us go through, especially at that age, is so strong, right? You remember those books forever. (laughs) And Karen Hash is such a great writer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, when I was in middle school, I read like most of the books that by her in our library. She has another one called A Time of Angels that I remember so vividly reading that book. Mm-hmm. It's always interesting too, when we ask people that, how a lot of times people's choices that they, that they have as vivid memories like that really have informed the direction that they go in as adults in their creative endeavors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So to read Turtle in Paradise and then, and then to hear that you uh, really liked Karen Hash, that totally makes sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, when I said yes to the book, it really felt like fulfilling like a childhood dream, I guess, because I used to like, Whenever I would read a book, I would draw character designs for the book and think about how it would be as a comic because I really loved comics. So getting to adapt this historical fiction book was like, I've done this before. (laughs) (laughs) So you actually designed, you did character designs for Out of the Dust? Uh, Not for Out of the Dust, but for, um, I think the book's called Phoenix Rising. Oh, I don't know that one. radiation disaster or something yeah phoenix rising by karen has i did i did character designs for that book so it felt like like i'd done it already (laughs) (laughs) well i hope you get to do some more of these going forward because i just feel like it was it was excellently done and um and we need more of them (laughs) yeah yeah i'm so glad (laughs) thank you so much Thank you guys so much. It was such a good chat. Yeah, it was so much fun talking to you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Savannah. And I'm so excited about there being a sequel to Bloom. I hope you have a really good rest of your day. You too. Thank you for joining us today on the Newberry Tart Podcast. We were speaking with Savannah Ganeshow, who adapted the 2011 Newberry Honor winning Turtle in Paradise into a graphic novel, which came out June 29th. She is speaking at the Miami Book Fair. Check out her schedule of events at the Miami Book Fair at miamibookfair.com. Thanks for listening. Bye. Production assistance for Newberry Tart is provided by Raphael Siebenman and Liam Grove. Graphic design by Liz Meitinger.
Intro and outro by Ariana Hargrave. Theme music for this podcast is provided by the laid-back and local Throckmorton Ukulele Band. You can hear more of their music on Facebook. Find more Newberry Tart episodes at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Our website is Newberry Tart. That's N-E-W-B-E-R-Y-T-A-R-T dot com.